Hello. Hello, everybody. I'm back. I'm back from my mission to find and kill God, which I succeeded at doing. So when uh, Joe Biden shows up, uh, ascends the steps to the, to the great golden throne, he will find nothing there but blood. So uh, I guess that means I'm God now. I think that's the rule. Pretty sure if you kill God, you become God. I mean, what else? Come on. Matter can either be created or destroyed, right? So, I guess that means Biden's got to hurt me. So, shit. Man. It's really making me conflicted about this election now, because, like, yes, there is a Cheeto in the White House. I understand. But, as God, do I want to be th slain by, uh, th by the American Tiamat, Joseph Robinette Biden? I certainly hope that doesn't happen. Someone asked, what do you say about tradcaths who only care about abortion? Well, if they think, if, if, if that makes them support Republicans, then they don't care about abortion. They care about pun punishing abortion. They care about penalizing women for, for being dirty. Uh, they don't really want to save the kids. Because if you want to save the kids, you make abortion a less attractive option. And they accept that when it does happen, it is perhaps tragic from your perspective, but by far the lesser social ill than allowing people to fend for themselves in a fucking state of, of organized, monetized savagery in which their children's lives mean nothing from the moment that they're born. Because to me, this is not a hard, this is not irreconcilable. I mean, I know there are people who hate the idea of, uh, of accommodating in any way to people who are even uncomfortable with the concept of abortion, but I really do think that's an online psychosis caused by those terrifyingly uh, uh, hardened lines that that develop, uh, in which you know it's all about keeping your side pure to prevent it from being dropped, uh, you know, taken over, but forgetting the fact that you're not actually seeking or attaining power that way. You're only maintaining a orthodoxy. You're only maintaining a uh, intellectual orthodoxy, which helps no one, really. But yes, uh, as has been pointed out by a, a, a learned worthy in the comments, American Catholics, for the most part, the white ones, sure, for the most part, anybody who's like more than two generations, any white Catholic that's more than two generations off from the boat, 
you're just Protestant. Sorry, that's the way it works. That's the way this shit works. Protestantism is, is deeper laid down in the foundations of America than Catholicism, which means Catholics show up, and over time, the Catholicism gets worn away, and all that's left is the, is the more structurally uh, integral Protestantism. Oops. Damn, you just turned fucking Protestant. Shit. That's a bummer, man. That's a real bummer, but hey, watch your head. That applies a lot to, uh, to Latinos as well, of course. I mean, my God, Protestantism is on the rise in Latin America. Uh... The, the, the Bolsonarismo is entirely fueled by Protestantism, and I wonder why. I wonder why the movement that says, fuck the very notion of having a society beyond my ability to wear stupid small shorts and take terrifyingly pained photographs in front of uh, murderous police officers. What the hell? There's nothing. Come on. That's just good old-fashioned settler colonial Protestantism. And it was going to give way eventually, and it's happening. But that's why I don't find Catholicism, for me anyway, particularly evocative as like an answer to this stuff. Because, you know, the things that, the things that are counter-capitalist within Catholicism are pre-capitalist. Like, feudal. And, 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 and that's not, you know, there's good in there, but it's really just reflecting a greater truth that transcends space and time. But it's, a lot of its value was totally contingent in a obsolete uh, economic relationship and social relationship. So that's why I don't think it's terribly useful. Uh, I don't know, for me anyway, as a guiding principle, but that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that it's impossible to get people with religious faiths of any kind, really, to, to recognize common interests uh, and to re, re break the bones of their religion more to conform with you know, the, the, hum, the humanistic demands of uh, anti-capitalism. Uh, I gotta say, I am excited for a vaccine. I'm not gonna lie. I don't care if it's got... I don't care if it has Jeffrey Epstein's DNA in it. Whatever. That's fine. I really don't want to get it. I mean, I, I'll probably be fine, but, like, all that shit about, like, the blood vessel damage and long-term like brain and dick damage and lungs Ugh. I'd rather not roll the dice yeah shout outs to Jordan Peterson struggling with COVID in a Siberian dungeon <laughs> We just talked a little bit about it on the show we recorded. Uh, his daughter is the chaos. I realize we realize this while talking about it is that when he describes women like the the like the foundational like mythic feminine as this chaos dragon, this this underminer of civilization, this emptiness, you know, uh, to, con contrasting with the the sort of solid, uh, uh, ordered. Uh, uh, and sold masculine he's talking about his daughter the one who kidnapped him and took him uh to like go under lubyanka and have his blood replaced with like fucking uh bacon grease to cure his uh clonopin addiction and then sure enough uh like 
a Chernobyl doctor coughed directly into his mouth and now he's got fucking COVID. But his daughter is an awful person, if you know about it. I mean, not, I mean obviously she's an Instagram fitness thought, which is a low grade of human to begin with. And she is a weird crank uh, uh, person about eating beef. But her boyfriend, who she apparently lives with, is a fucking sex trafficker. Like in the genuine taken sense. Like he's an Easter, he runs Eastern European cam warehouses, which if anybody knows anything about how those things operate, specifically in like Latin America and in uh, Eastern Europe, are fucking hair-curdlingly horrible things. And he's, he's her Ilsa. He's, she's his fucking Ilsa. She's his Ilsa, she-wolf of the fucking SS. Just a monstrously terrible, like two awful people. And he raised that girl and he fucking let her take him to Russia. Doesn't really speak too well. Someone asked if German Catholicism has become Protestant. I don't know much about it, but the process is everywhere less, is more attenuated than it is here because here is where the, 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 the dynamic was supercharged by, by that free real estate that I was talking about. Uh, old Europe doesn't have that. I mean, Germany specifically has a few very interesting things going for it. Ha! <laughs> Holocaust and all that. Uh, but I don't know. I have a feeling not as much. But I can't speak to it. I've not watched the last NARC. What would make me shave my beard? I think if I lost, I've, I've lost a bit of weight. I think I've lost like maybe 15 pounds during uh, the Corona thing. Cause I guess I just stopped going out as much. I definitely stopped drinking as much. Uh, but I lost another like 15 pounds maybe. As it stands, I think I got too much of a double chin. I look gross. I'd be too self-conscious. I do think it's, I think that, I think it, it works though for me. So there's no real rush and I hate shaving. I always did. I fucking hate shaving. I never was any good at it. I always cheaped out and got disposable razors that I would reuse. And so my face would get shredded and I would do it too fast. Just be bleeding all the place. Just trying to get through it as quickly as possible. When I finally was able to put a beard together when I hit like 30 it was like oh god this is a godsend I never have to fucking do anything else I saw the, the, the I saw the muscle car thing with Biden, and we talked about it on the show before. Uh, I gotta say, I'm looking forward now to. I hope I hope Biden wins now. I mean, like, I, I think I, I've sketched out reasons why I think that that Biden's presidency might genuinely be disastrous and worse than Trump's for the for the fortunes of you know any meaningful. Uh, resistance to what's coming in terms of, you know, uh, of crisis, like accumulating crisis capitalism, ratcheting down the bolts around social order and hyper exploiting in the center, uh, you know, uh, to make up for falling profits everywhere. 
But honestly, who knows? Six and one half of the other, probably. It's, either way, it's probably not going to be good. Either way, there are going to be opportunities. Either way, it's going to really come down to who's there at the moment to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. All things we can't know. But God damn it, Biden being president might actually be funnier than Trump at this point. I mean, I mean, I don't even think, actually, it's not even a question because the deal with Trump is like, yeah, Trump has been very funny, but also at this point, it's, we get it. Biden being president is a whole new thing. And what would make it even interest, more interesting is that one of the things that's enervating about Trump's funniness is that Trump's funniness is impossible to enjoy because there's a million other awful, painful dipshits trying to make the same fucking joke. I forget who it was, but somebody said how Twitter is like, uh, every time a big event happens on Twitter, it's 500 people trying to shove the same turd down a toilet. Uh, very, very apt. And four years of basically has just been nothing but that. Like Trump does something manifestly dumb, something so dumb and surreal that you really don't even have to say anything about it. And then everybody, including us, I'm not going to lie, uh, tries to do a joke. I think I like to think ours are better than average, but just the sheer volume of them reduces the value of any of them. That's just it's joke inflation. Uh, and so that makes it hard to appreciate Trump for how funny he is, because you'll get nailed for being doing kafifi humor. And it's like, yeah, that's the worst form of humor right now. But I hate the idea of robbing myself of being able to acknowledge just how funny he is. But if Biden's president, there's going to be a vested interest in, I'd say, 90% of the media that currently spends all of its time roasting Trump to pretend like he's not being hilarious, that his brain is not turning into tapioca pudding. And that means the fucking floor will be clearer and, there will be more, and the jokes will be able to shine more. So, very interested, very excited. Uh, come on, man. I mean, come on, man. He's just telling, he, and the thing about come, come on, man, is that he always says it when he, where every other politician has been trained from birth to put in the talking point that has been locked, rock, locked into their CPU by their staff. Like, I'll tell you this, Steve, the American people are tired of these games. I've been exonerated by, and, and then it would just go through the things that they know to say. That file is not found for Biden. So every time he gets to where he's supposed to put in, just, I mean, it's not like it has to be uh, Shakespeare. It doesn't have to be gilded prose or even some sort of brilliant logical trap. It just has to be the stock denial or affirmation that is needed. He gives up because he can't find it. And he just demands that the audience just, you know what I'm going to say. Like he said, when he said, you know, the thing, it's like, He's acknowledging that all political language is meaningless. And it's not communicating any content. What it's communicating is itself. It's communicating that this is a politician, that they should be president. It has no specific uh, datum within that. And he is acknowledging that truth. Like, that's one of the things that's so entertaining about him is because, like Trump, his brain has been turned into goo, and he just doesn't have the energy to hold up the farce, to keep the kayfabe. It's a different, you know... Uh, it's a different shoot mechanism than Trump has because it's coming from a different place, but a different type of dementia, a different type of, of just mental uh, uh, tiredness, mental uh, lack of mental stamina that gives, makes him just give up on the artifice. But the specific thing that he is underlining when he says this, when he says the thing about you ain't black if you don't vote for Democrats or, you know, Latinos, they're more, they're more diverse in their opinions than blacks who we can depend on and who always vote for us no matter what we do. So we can kind of leave them, we can kind of ignore them and say, and we have to kiss the ass of Latinos. 
Uh, all of this is a part of him just having lacking the mental stamina to invest in making keeping up the charade. And the command man thing is, you know what I'm going to say. It's this is a ritual. This is kabuki. You know what I'm going to say. You know the thing. So why don't I'm tired? Just let me gesture towards it, and you fill in the fucking blanks. Now, of course, the con the the, uh, the contrast to that, and Felix talks about this on the show. Spoiler alert: It's a good one, I think. Classic Dry Boys. Uh, is that Corn Pop? Corn Pop. He goes into he goes into Joycean or Proustian detail. He he he, could, he the the thing where he talks about the razor and how you would you know you smack him on the on the and put him in the storm drain to get him rusty, hit him on the curb to get him. These are these are. I, that's the thing that, like, I've encountered a fair amount of media about the 50s, and I've read a lot, you know, uh, novels and uh, I've seen films. I Like, I understand the mid-century social gestalt, blackboard jungle, switchblade stuff. I've never heard that, and I 100% know it's a real thing. I 100% know that's real, like, a, a street gang uh, thing that, like, cops would probably... It's probably like an urban legend from the 50s. Like, you stay away from those, you know, you stay away from those uh, gang kids. You know, they, 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 they put their... Uh, razors in the, the storm barrels to get them rusty so you'll get tetanus. I know that was real from the way he said it. And this thing's like jeweled and marbled with, with diamond perfect moments of recall because that's what happens to your brain when your brain starts running down is that as it's unable to process what is happening in front of it as it's as the, as the those little uh, sense organs that just are constantly reuptaking uh, information lose their ability to do so, lose their their uh, their uh, speed, their elasticity, start start closing up, and and actually stopping to function. The the the, the imprint, the perfect imprint, because remember the brain's memory is perfect, even if you can't recall things. The perfect memory is all that you can really settle your mind to and so that's where his brain is uh and the thing like that's why trump is so fascinating because he is clearly also degenerating but in a different way he doesn't do that he doesn't have anything like biden's ability to maintain uh, a a uh, a narrative space like that story he tells about corn pop that's the fucking i mean that's a real that's fucking ulysses i mean that's that's uh that's the iliad uh, compared to the way Trump says stories. Trump's, when Trump tries to describe anything narratively, he's just like, and they came in and they give me, except unless it's him talking about made up stories of people saying how good he is. That's the only story he can tell front to back. So Trump, while his brain, his ability to recognize what's happening in front of him is going away, he is not remembering actual memories because remember, he's a miserable person who has never been happy. So why would he want to dwell on memories? He dwells in fantasy. He dwells in the, in, the, in the land where you take all the junk drawer of memory and turn it into something more, uh, more pleasing and more soothing and more, and more uh, flattering. And that's the difference between the two. You've got a guy in his, trapped, in his, trapped in the past and a guy trapped in another dimension. In, in an, in the, in, trapped in the past and trapped in the never was. Uh, which, of course, makes sense because... Who in that position, forgetting the way that your brain has, like, the c capacity, you know, because it's a question of, like, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, spirit and flesh, capa material capacity and like social reality. Like we as a nation are in the same, as I've said, we as a nation are in the same position that they are. Our body, like their bodies, is failing. Our mind, our, bod our, our, our economic and social engine, heart and mind, like theirs, is failing. And when that's happening, who wants to look forward? Forgetting that you can't. Like, we, can't, we couldn't stop the virus no matter what. We can't deal with it now. We can't deal with the crisis that's coming. We can't deal with the economic fallout. Because the institutions that would have allowed us to do that, social, governmental, economic, have been either forbidden from ever existing or been destroyed over time. So there's no, that's the way, the way their brains cannot deal with, like, if they wanted to, they could not be more in the now because they're not getting useful information, enough useful information to make it into anything coherent and, uh, and reassuring to the self. Like, all it is is just kind of noises and clicks and whistles. Um, it's just buzzes and whistles. Like, everything around them, just like us, everything, everything here, every, every social ganglion, every neuron uh, is decrepit. So you literally can't imagine a future. You can't build for one, just like you can't really mentally build on what you have in front of you if you're that old. And also, in that situation, why would you want to? Why the fuck would you want to? So of course, the people who vote, the people who are most focused on, they have their ears to the corpse and they're freaking out about how They've looked at the fucking, uh, they imagine that they have seen the diagnosis, the prognosis. They're freaking out about it. They also believe that there is a political solution or a political reflection of this. And they say it bold voice, regardless of party. Uh, okay, well, if, we're, if this is it, then we're either going to live in a fantasy of a completely different reality, the, the, the America that is made great again, or we delude ourselves by sitting with an imagined past uh, and not like, uh, and with the liberals, with the Biden voters, you know, he's imagining obviously his childhood, but for them, it's the Obama years. So those are your two ways of, uh, of dealing with the grief. And that's why if we go from Trump to Biden, it's going from denial to acceptance in the Kubler-Ross uh, the Kubler-Ross continuum. I saw someone, someone asked about Adam Curtis. I enjoy Adam Curtis a lot. Uh, I haven't seen all of his films. Uh, Will is a bigger fan than I and that he's seen all of them. Uh, but somebody said something that I thought was, because something's always kind of stuck with me about Adam Curtis that made it hard for me to like, really love his work. Uh, and I could never really put my finger on it because a lot of the analysis seems to me to be very cogent or interesting uh and someone pointed out i think it was on letterbox i forget who though who said uh that john semley i think it might have been that curtis he critiques like the imperial gaze of like the west western capitalism right western imperial capitalism specific like britain in the u.s like the, the anglo the the imperial exploitative world gaze but it's also embedded in it. So it's not like he observes anything else with anything other than that. Like he is just applying the, the, the Anglo-Imperial gaze to the Anglosphere, which means that it has the same, that, that his, 
analysis and like the aesthetics of it and the, and the, and the emotional content of it have the same limitations and the same sort of uh, Olympian remove from humanity. Uh, whether it's subjects of the Imperial Corps or the people that they uh, exploit and destroy overseas. I thought that was interesting. I don't think that it means this film is not useful. I still really like it, but I think it, it gets at maybe what I uh, sometimes have difficulty with. But it's definitely, they're definitely worth, worth engaging with. What do I think it, well, the K-Hive will do if uh, Harris isn't the nominee? I said it the other day, one of them might take a shot at uh, him, Squeaky Fromm style. But no, most of them would end up just figuring out an explanation for why they needed to vote for Biden, even if they complained for a while, because the peer pressure would be too strong not to. But I think a few of them would hold out. But I think it would be fewer than, say, the Pumas, who are a significant number. Protracted Karen's War, that's it. Who are the Pumas? Oh man, I forgot you people are some, some of you are children. The Pumas were a group of, I think they would have been called, I think you could call them proto-Karens. They were, uh, they were, they were those white women that everyone loves yelling about now because it's a good way to sublimate misogyny and, and other things that, but make them woke. Uh, it's just another step on the same continuum whereby, like, wokeness does not resolve social tension. It sublimates it. And so that's why there has to be a category that can be, that can be dumped on. Like, that's why there's an argument about, like, can you make fun of Italians or something? It's because people need some sort of sub place to, to, to express their sublimated social anxiety. Like, the, the, the mixture of hate and guilt that, they have, that white people specifically have around uh, minorities. Like, it has to be expressed somewhere. And it gets vented, like a lot of uh, liberals love venting it on poor white people, Bob Chipman style, movie blob, where it's like, these poor, dumb, cracker assholes voting against their interests, they should be nuked. Uh, that's just the sublimation of the general social, uh, you know, alienation they fe feature, which is also heavily racialized, but this is a way to launder it. And now, for some people, white women have now taken that role. Oh, the white women are complicit. It's like, well, yeah, everyone's fucking complicit. But now all of a sudden you're just going to essentialize white women. Why? So you can fucking sublimate some more of that social anxiety and some of that, uh, that unresolved sense of shame and guilt and all that. Uh, but anyway, these were the Karens of 2008. And they were staunchly in favor of Hillary to the point that when Obama got the nomination, they said, party, unity, my ass, Puma. And were said, we're not going to vote for Obama in the fall. And according to the polling, it was a significant number. It was a bunch of people. It's just that uh, that was such a landslide, it didn't really matter. Now, it's not an imperial case because he looks at the BBC. I'm saying his attitude towards the people in his films is at that it is cold, I guess is the word I would use. There will be fewer Pumas this year. I mean, if Harris is the nominee, I don't think there'll be any. 
Uh, but if it isn't, if it's a different woman, it'll be hard for them to really get it around the specific figure of Harris because Harris doesn't hold, I don't think Harris holds the place in the imagination of a significant number of people the way Hillary did as like a totem, uh, someone who stood in for the struggle of a generation of women who entered the workplace and dealt with a lot of unfairness and, and discrimination and, 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 and they saw Hillary as a reflection of their, of their struggle and they got like a psychic connection there. And that I don't think Kamala Harris has quite that hold on nearly as many people. So that's why I don't think there's going to be a lot. And, and I, honestly, though, because of Trump and because of the, the, the heightened sense of, uh, of drama and stakes, I mean, I got to say, like, I remember 08, and as much as people wanted to get Obama, uh, Bush out, uh, I think, for very obvious reasons, not just because, you know, we're further along in the process of, of polarization and... Uh, and and mutual alienation, resource depletion, crisis, uh, austerity, and then also the specificness of Trump's per specific aesthetic uh, uh, violations of norms, uh, genuine violations of norms, and also, you know, I don't know, massive pandemic and economic depression. Uh, I think that's going to just, even if Biden came out and made... Mitt Romney is not his VP or something, or uh, or Joe Lieberman, which would be really funny, like to bring him out of retirement. I think you'd see minimal minimal public uh, rejection. Now, whether or not that contrasts, whether or not that impacts the broader question of like motivated turnout is the second one. Although, I think that uh, the main reason that I kind of, when trying to prognosticate, just sort of assumed Biden's going to win is because I think one thing that a lot of people have built in to their assumptions is that a combination of Biden's lack of coherentness and ideological noxiousness uh, and corona is going to depress turnout. And that if MAGA is energized, nobody else is, Trump could still win. And Virgil's convinced me that the evidence against that is that there has been... There have been elections all during this fucking quarantine and they have seen not only not a decline in participation, but an increase, which suggests that even with Corona, people are taking this very, very seriously. Now you can argue that it's dumb to do that, but it's not like people have been evaluating, uh, like the, uh, cost benefit analysis of this stuff up until now with a lot of acuity. So why would this not be part of this greater inability to reckon with the virus and its implications? I mean, they're still trying to jam kids back in schools, like that's fucking uh, college kids in a fo phone booth in 1952. I asked about the Pumas. Some people keep repeating questions. I'm trying to get through this thing. Well, I think the thing with somebody asked Movie Bob, Movie Bob's thing is he got bullied by jocks and he hates them. I mean, it's, it's a supervillain origin story. It's just he doesn't have any talents or abilities that he could harness to get back at them beyond tweeting about how, you know, non-woke white people need to die. Because wokeness, as I said, is this like thunderbolt division within uh, the white electorate and the white population more generally. And it mostly has to do with college education, which is a stand-in for class 
uh, but is not, of course, de totally determined by that. And that confusion causes a lot of category errors. Uh, but one of the things it does is it leads a guy like Bob Chipman, whose job is to talk about Mario Brothers on YouTube, to think that he is part of the Eloy, part of the elite, part of the people in Zardoz who live in the bubble and do the dances and are immortal, and everyone else is monstrous Morlock, uh, Sean Connerys, who deserve to be uh, smited. Even though the only difference is somebody went to a fucking four-year school and somebody didn't. I'm not technically a YouTube guy, sir. I would say that uh, whatever this is, it is... I've seen... I don't have watch a lot of the YouTube videos, but I've seen enough of them to know that the basic template is... I don't know. Different enough from this? There's no interaction, for one thing, right? Uh, this is... Twitch content put onto YouTube. I'm going to at least keep saying that to myself to convince myself that I'm not a YouTube guy. Because, hell, it's probably self-delusion, but we all need those. We all need those to get through the day, for the love of God. It's hard enough out there. Have I read Jefferson Cowie's Staying Alive? Absolutely. Great book. Uh, the 70s, I mean, reading Reagan Land really reminds me, this is, this, and there's a book by Judith Stein, I've also read very good, called Ju Pivotal Decade, that gets more into the nuts and bolts of how, like, trade was officially, like, outsourced, and, and the economy was financialized in the, eight, in the 70s, called Pivotal Decade, and it really was, and all that's, and what's amazing is, is that all that stuff happened under the fucking surface. All the real, foundational, powerful changes happened without anyone's notice, like Volcker getting appointed to the Fed, one of the most momentous choices of the 20th century. It happened mostly under the radar. Nobody was talking about that. They were talking about the fucking Panama Canal Treaty and shit. And meanwhile, Carter is trying to fucking create a... Uh, he's trying to get America to stop being materialist because it was, uh, it was because of the oil shortage. And, and he was getting at something real. Like there was a spiritual malaise caused by a... a, a society becoming fully materialized and having no spiritual element to it because the social had been replaced by by uh, the social matrix had been replaced by the marketplace and so all all values were personal acquisition above all which is it can only you can accept that in the short term if you're living in abundance like the people who ran the gum tree from the 50s to the to the late to the uh to the early 70s thought but Carter was looking right in the face of permanent austerity, partially because he'd accepted supplies. Uh, he'd accepted, uh, you know, Milton Friedman's bullshit about uh, about inflation, uh, but also because I mean, it was just a reality. Is that energy was way, 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 way more expensive, and, and wage demands were increasing uh, money supply, and there was and there was now a ceiling that was going to make that no longer sustainable, and. That transition would have been possible if it had been done through increasing workforce democracy, if giving people control over their labor. Because that is what capitalism offers, it says, in, in the first world anyway. I mean, and eventually to everybody, but, but more specifically to, to the most developed workers, to that labor aristocracy. The deal is, yes, you're not going to get real control over your work. You will be alienated in your labor and in your species being. But you'll be able to buy things. You'll be able to buy a lot of things. And those things can hold, can kind of make up for it. It's a consolation prize. We're not just going to give you mere subsistence the way that 
you know, Marx imagined all uh, capitalist labor relations eventually going. We have this post-war boom, this, this giant pile of cargo that we can distribute more equitably to keep things even keeled. Uh, so we're very sorry for the social uh, fabric being destroyed. Here is a washer dryer set. And it's like, you know what? You actually have helped me because if uh, my wife can wash the clothes in tw 20 minutes instead of three hours, well, that's another two and a half hours we can be together when I'm not working. Uh, even though I'd rather be at the bar, am I right, guys? Uh, <laughs> but that's the deal. And that's what Khrushchev tried to do after World War II. Like, like uh, the anti-revisionists hate Khrushchev because of his pivot to a consumer economy. But Khrushchev was, whatever you want to say about him, dedicated to removing the, the totalitarian coercive authoritarian boot of Stalinism from the neck of Soviet society. Uh, and you could argue it was necessary. I mean, World War II, I mean, the, 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 the 30s and 40s, like that was, that was a time in Soviet history defined by a crisis and by attack from the outside. You can make an argument. I'm not going to, I don't care either way because it's secondary to my point. Uh, but you can make an argument that that was necessitated. But in the, in the, after, after mutual assured actually after mutually assured destruction has been uh, assumed, and there's essentially a a a, uh, a agreed neutral uh, an agreed stand down from direct hostility between the Soviet Union and the United States, that that authoritarianism is not longer necessary. So why would you not want to remove it? You know, and also. Uh, if you want to make, you know, if you're trying to create a socialist society, why would you need this kind of coercion? You know, like this is supposed to be the people, self-governing. So just like for for so the regime's own, you know, coherence, it needed to happen. But we replace, we get rid of the authoritarianism, the heavy-handed authoritarianism of Stalin. But we can't actually do any more than Americans can to give workplace autonomy to people. People still essentially have to work, but for the state. And that means even though it might be less alienated because there is a social component to it and they know that they're contributing to a project, it's not just going to a capitalist, there is still an alienation there. And Khrushchev recognized that we're not going to be a Stalinist authoritarian nation if we're going to try to have an actual, you know, uh, mobilized, high morale, intact, socially vibrant society then there's going to have to be some sort of compensation for that. And that's why he wanted to start getting people that shit, that good stuff that the American people have. Like, they're happy. Those workers, like, they're enslaved, but they don't know it because of their fucking washer and dryer. We get them the washer and dryer, and they're not enslaved. We've essentially solved history. Uh, but if you can't keep offering that, which is what Carter realized, then you have to then something has to fill the gap. But he thought he could just go on TV and tell people to be more moral and to be more community-minded. And, and that just by reducing spending, like just by driving less, just by buying less, that would somehow fill the gap. Even though they were still in a capitalist society where everything had been marketized and they were being exploited uh, at the point of their labor. Still alienated. And so, what a shock that people preferred Reagan when he said, no, just keep buying stuff, it's fine, everything's great. Even though he and his advisors were accepting the, the new austerity, 
and the new necessity for uh, a reduction in labor compensation because that was the moment that uh, wage increases flatlined as they have for the past 40 years. Complete flatline from 1980. It's, it's, one, of the most, it's one of the most singly uh, bracing and uh, useful pieces of graphic information you can look at is the 20th century chart of uh, wage increases. Uh, wa uh, wages is a percentage of, of like profit. Wages is a percentage of, of, of the economy. They go up, up, up after the Great Depression. And then since, since Reagan, essentially, but set in, set in motion by Volcker and by Carter, flat, flat. Now, we haven't spent less, but it's all been on credit, credit bubbles to fill the space. We've had to keep spending because we're the spending country. But that leads, that reality means people work more, people work longer, people get less of all those creature comforts. And that spiritual hole is harder to fill. But there's still only one way to fill it, which is through material consumption and, 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 and uh, consumerism. And it's funny, before Carter gave his big crisis of confidence speech where he tried to snap America out of its addiction to oil and spending and consumption, he talked to a bunch of uh, people, learned, learned minds of the academy and of... Uh, uh, and of the church and governors and regular, regular citizens. And he asked them, like, what's the deal with, why does everything seem so hopeless? And people gave him a bunch of different theories and explanations about why specifically everyone was so uh, filled with malaise. Uh, and one thing that a lot of them kept telling him was, uh, well, you're telling people that they need sacrifice, right? But they're still run in a country that's run, live in a country that's completely run by corporations, massive corporations that are just directing their lives, who they work for and who they pay for their, their ability to stay alive. And how the hell are you supposed to ask people to sacrifice meaningfully without any sacrifice of profit, any meaningful, and, and also more importantly than that, sacrifice control redirect downward control of people's lives. Then he, he ignored that part. It's like, no, no, we'll just tell people to like drive less and then they'll rediscover the value of community. It is liberalism, is what this I claim. This is the ideology of the liberal. The mind, it is a valuable, it is a wall of go, though. And it encounters a new thing and it takes, it goes in a new direction as opposed to it is always always at every point being directed by the material reality it finds itself within. And that is why liberalism of all stripes is no use because it's the liberal view at every level from, from, from vote blue no matter who to anarchism, sorry, is premised on people changing their minds. People just deciding to think something different from one day to the next. All liberalism. Imagine social change is caused by discrete opinions being changed over aggregate over time. And the way those opinions are changed is through some sort of combination of argument, uh, 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 meme, cultural shift. And people just go from thinking one thing to thinking another thing. And that is not true. 
And that is why the arguments about like whether Marx is still valuable or, or whatever, they're pointless because everything, all these arguments are pointless and like the people who promote them only do it so people will yell at them. It's just like with the, 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 the crazy uh, Chapo honk pill person. It doesn't matter that this stuff's gibberish. It doesn't matter that people are going to get mad at you. That's the point. They get mad at you, and then people are talking about you. And then you have reaffirmed your position, and people who don't like the people who are mad at you now like you more and want to support you more to make them mad. But I would say that any attempt to, uh, to replace the material and analytical tradition of like identifying... Uh, the cause of change, the cause of social progress with power and the application of power, the mobilization and application of power, uh, and not the, uh, the, the efflorescence of cultural concepts changing people's minds. It doesn't work like that anyway. Thomas Kuhn said about uh, scientific progress, science progress is one funeral at a time. Because... What he, what he showed in uh, his, his classic uh, book, uh, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, is that we kind of assume that what happens with science is that there's an there's a established point of view, there's an established scientific uh, consensus on a given position, and then somebody comes along with new evidence, which is then analyzed, analyzed and everyone says, oh my God, this guy's right. Uh, that does not happen. Uh, the people who believe one thing say fuck you to the new people and they disagree with them and refute them and spend their lives saying that they're wrong until they're they die out until they are they are out uh until the new the new people coming into understanding of science ex are exposed to new information which includes this new understanding and come to new conclusions the old ones have to die out they don't change their mind uh, there's a great book about uh, the London cholera epidemic of, uh, what, 1845 called The Ghost Map about Dr. John Snow, one of the most famous epidemiologists of all time, who was able to identify uh, the waterborne nature of cholera and identify the specific uh, well in the specific uh, East End neighborhood that was causing it. And published his findings. It was revolutionary. He saved lives. They found the fucking well. They, they, they bricked it up. Uh, but the scientific consensus at the time was that disease was not caused by something like waterborne uh, germs or something. It was caused by bad smells, miasma theory. That was the, and and the, the reason that cramped urban slums had a lot of uh, disease in them is because they stank. And John Snow came along and essentially uh, destroyed the whole concept and demonstrated, unarguably, through through like data presentation the that the source of this and that didn't change anybody's fucking mind none of these doctors said you know what don snow you were right nobody dramatically ripped up their fucking papers about miasma theory they all said fuck you it's miasma and then they died out and then the younger people who heard about uh, john snow first came along and that's that's true everywhere so they, they, and the liberal notion of change is discrete opinions being changed and that's why that's why anybody who wants to say forget Marx, that boring old problematic white guy, uh, he's dead, and he uh, he he did slurs. If you ever look into it, uh, don't read him. Read me. Read me and my foppish uh, my foppish whimsical 
uh, imaginings about why you should all be socialists because it's nice. And why, wouldn't you want to be nice? Don't you want to be a nice person? We should be nice, but not, and we should make everything nice, but not by doing anything icky and authoritarian. Oh, that would be not, no, no, no. That's not nice. Authoritarianism isn't nice. Making people do things isn't nice. I'm in favor of nice, I'm in favor of good things, actually. And the bad things, you know what? I'm not in favor of those, and I don't think you should be either. There's, that's not, those aren't categories, dumbass, dipshit. The question is when and how are things applied? Not any kind of categorical definition around them. These are the libs. These are the real libs. And that's what's so funny is 90% of the people on fucking line calling each other libs are also libs because of course we are. That's what America creates. America creates liberal subjects who believe that they are individual uh, detached uh, points of view that are not acted upon, but that process reality from some inner concept, some individualized identity that then applies itself to reality. I think, I think people are making these, I think people, people are making these opinions. I mean, I would say anybody saying like the value of anarchism is it reminds us not to be authoritarian. I've seen that argument and I don't think it, it's meaningful. Author, what, what, authoritarianism is not a thing. These aren't, dis these aren't discrete concepts. These are features of a greater uh, phenomenon. And they have to be analyzed in that context. So someone's making these arguments, not just me. Yeah, man, they haven't extended unemployment. I will say I'm a little surprised by that. I do think they are going to give money again. Uh, but the fact that they haven't so far, I think boils down to the fact that the actual institutions no longer function. Uh, like the, the, the incentive structure is, is so messed up that even if it is in the, like the, 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 the phenomenon within like a capitalist class that necessitates government existing, the fact that it's hard to get discrete elements within a greater capitalist ruling class on the same page because they have conflicting, they have at some level, they have conflicting interests that have to be aligned. And that's where government comes in. Now those, that same phenomena has now leached into the government and the parties. It's kind of amazing. Hofstetter, I mean, I don't think that's a controversial opinion at this time. I mean, Hofstetter is one of those uh, Panglossian figures you get in intellectual history who looks around him and says, yeah, this is it, and just blows a little propeller beanie. I know, I know Hegel was technically like that too, but come on. He was, he was, he was the first, he was, he's the godfather of the German idealists. You got to give those guys a little bit of, uh, the fact that they didn't all go insane is, uh, is amazing. I kind of think I would be insane if I spoke German as a first language. It's just too symbolically and like, it's too, it's too idealistic. I mean, the language itself, like English is much earthier. So many, so many, like English has the most discrete words of any language. And then Germany is like 10 compound words that are riddled and layered with meaning. 
it allows for uh, an abstraction of thought that can be dangerous. Is Chomsky a lib? Yes, he's an anarchist. Anarchists are liberals. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a criticism. That's the thing. I mean, it's a criticism to the degree that I don't think liberalism is useful. Uh, but um, the, this thing of calling people liberals as a term of abuse is just projection. Everyone's terrified that they're liberals because no one's doing anything, or most people aren't doing anything that makes them feel like they are politically useful, that they are politically active, that they have a political identity other than their posts and their ideas. And that feels very, uh, very thin. And so that anxiety, like, oh God, are we liberals? That's deep. And so, of course, the number one epithet among the real hardcore, like, uh, 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 you know, subcultural leftists uh, is lib, liberal. But it's just projection because you're terrified you are one too. And think, since most people have not examined, like, their underlying premises of their political beliefs beyond what, like, they vaguely think should be true and specifically what their peers think, uh, it leaves them unable to even answer the question. And liberals are useful and, in fact, necessary in any fucking left movement because, as I have said repeatedly, the, signif the, the significant and only question of the moment is people, is size of the movement, is of mobilizing. And if you have to depend on, uh, on dyed-in-the-wool materialist dialecticians for that, you're not getting anywhere. So liberals have a place. Uh, but liberal ideas liberal underlying like theories of change I think are wrong and the thing is that doesn't always come into that doesn't always come to the fore that's why you can have coalitions because you can have a uh, a preponderance of unity of interest that you can pursue uh, and then the conflicts like the conflicts that people fixate on they don't really come into come into uh, don't come to the fore until much farther along in any kind of process of actually you know, building and applying power. But if we're talking just as we like to do on here at the purely theoretical, intellectual level, it is a discrete uh, point of view. Anarchism is is one current of. I would say like it's it's the most most intense, radicalized version of liberalism. But it's part of a tradition of liberalism. Because the anarchist idea is, is that you can make what you want your end state, that you can essentially phase shift from the world we have now to a, like a post-state uh, uh, existence where all of the mechanisms of power have been distributed and essentially have a, a minimal transition period to that. I do not think that is true, <laughs> to say the least. I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that it's based on a, a, a genuine or, or, or accurate understanding of the nature of historical process. Uh, but in the mean, near term, like it doesn't mean that anarchists aren't don't mean well, and it doesn't mean that they don't have uh, parts to do if they feel that they can uh, be part of a coalition. But they should not be in charge of anything. ANCAP's also liberals, yes. It's a spectrum. You got the anarcho-liberal on one end and libertarian socialist on the other. It's one thing of liberalism. One conception of the, it's one conception of the self, as I said. One conception of mind, one conception of society uh, with different emphases. 
like how to manage how to manage a social order of discrete beings, right? Like that's the question, because that's what they imagine. Like I, I do not imagine, I do not think that at base we are discrete beings. I think that the social content of the human identity is too overdetermining to call us discrete beings, which means that there are social, that all answers to all questions of, uh, you know, resource distribution. Uh, are social questions that must be answered socially. Uh, liberalism imagines can discrete subjects, you know, like a pile of, uh, like a big pile of corn kernels, all of them separate. The potatoes, everyone's a potato, you know, and inherently and, and inevitably and always a potato in a sack. Uh, and if that's the case, how do you manage a social world, an inevitable social world? The ANCAP says, well, by, mar by making everything a transaction. Treating everyone as a stranger. Treating everyone as a stranger. Uh, and then dealing across that barrier uh, through the market. And then the libertarian socialist says, by treating everybody like family, like it's a big olive garden, social responsibility for all. Uh, and that's, those, are the, those are the different polls and you got liberals in the like you know conventional western liberals kind of in the middle although closer to ancap obviously anarchists are mad at me okay i mean if somebody wants to give me a discreet rebuttal that's fine i don't know i'm not going to read a bunch of anarchist shit though i'm sorry if you want me to go to like the FAQ, I'm not going to do it. I'll just say it right now because it doesn't matter really. Like if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. So it, I don't really feel like the uh, uh, there's a huge pressing need to do that. What discrete meaning? Completely separated. So, like, discrete, discrete consciousness is discrete uh, identities, meaning it's fully separated from one another, not in any way connected. I'm going to go soon, but... Of course people change their minds, and of course organizing is about changing minds, but it is not a first and foremost carried out through the mechanism of persuasion around intellectual categories. It is about appealing to one's life circumstances, and I do believe that that is a distinction with a meaningful difference, and some could disagree. I think those things are different. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna peace out. One more question.
I should see the spider network. I, uh, oh, no, that's... Oh, uh, well, I haven't... Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Uh, RBG, I think, is dead, yes. Oh, yeah, no, Spider Network's the true non-stuff. I, I kind of don't know if I want to actually even listen to those. I think I'm going to go insane. I probably will, though. And then I will be fully detached from reality. That's one of those, like, all the stuff about, you know, deep networks of, of authoritarian and fascist influence and... and uh, that's one of those deals where you kind of have to just assume that it's not as powerful as you can imagine it could be because if it other if it is then what's the point of any of this Last question. Someone wanted a soy face. Gonna do one one soy face, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna peace out. All right, here it comes. Comes. Bye.